Our scripture today is Psalm 25. If you have your Bible or your phone, you may want to turn to Psalm 25 and read along with me. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The word of the Lord. We're continuing through the Psalms for the summer. We'll be wrapping up the Psalms next week, I think. And the Psalms teach us how to pray in adversity. Many of them do just that. We see someone else who lived thousands of years ago praying in the midst of a really difficult circumstance. Just look at what the singer, suppose it's David, it's a Psalm of David. Just look at what the singer is going through when you read that Psalm, when you listen to Psalm 25. It reveals a situation that's complicated. And, and there are many emotions that his situation invokes in David for him to say something like, and I think you capture his situation, the complexity of it, really well uh, by reading verses 16 through 19. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. This is complicated. He's saying he's lonely. 
He's saying he feels afflicted. His heart is, in tr- is, tr- is troubled. He's distressed. He's saying he has a lot of enemies and that they really hate him. But he's also saying that he has his own sins. He's dealing with a lot of emotions. and a, This is a complex situation. You ever, have you ever been in a situation like that? Where it wasn't just one issue. There were many issues you were aware of. Many issues you were wrestling with all at the same time. You're struggling with inner turmoil. You're also dealing with external threats and external criticism. And all at the same time, you're carrying your own guilt. There's something you've done. There's something you've said. There are things you're thinking about that you're having a hard time living with. Uh, You know, that was my experience years ago for a span of years. It felt like all of that was happening in my own life. And I won't won't go into details other than to say, just because we don't have time, it's a good story over coffee, Uh, but just to say uh, dealing with uh, some deaths in our own family, uh, dealing with my own sickness, uh, cancer diagnosis, and then dealing with issues in the church I was serving at the time Uh, where it just seemed like one reckless decision after another was coming down uh, from really unhealthy people within the church, some of them in leadership, Uh, even one of them, uh, another pastor of the church. And in that process, I I remember as another leader having to embrace uh, and, and wrestle with the disappointment, the criticism of others responding to the decisions I made as a leader. Uh, Wrestling with that, but also wrestling with how I contributed to the problem. Struggling with my own sin and my own culpability and my own mistakes and the guilt that that brought me. Grief, sickness, trauma, conflict, disapproval, guilt, simultaneously, all at the same time, not, not one after another, you don't, it's not like grief 101, guilt 101, criticism 101, trauma 101. You get to take the entire PhD degree all at the same time. You ever felt that way before? Can you relate? If you can't, you may be able to someday. The Psalms, though they were composed by people in another culture thousands of years ago, They're composed by people who deal with the same emotions you and I do. And so we can relate. If we're listening, we can relate. And Psalm Psalm 25 teaches us how to pray in adversity. Teaches us how to pray and reach out to God when our emotions are raw and when our threats are many. And what I want to pull out of Psalm 25 today is the truth That God, in our troubles, and despite our sins, remembers us. The God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, in your adversity, and despite your own culpability, and maybe your own contributions to the adversity you're facing, remembers you. And that is precious. And today, I'm hopefully going to show you why that's precious. And as we read Psalm 25, we learn about three different things that we can pray about in adversity. We learn what to ask for in adversity when we pray. 
what to request when we pray. We learn what to remember when we pray. And we learn what to cherish when we pray through adversity. What to request, what to remember, and what to cherish when we pray through our adversity. Here's what we can request. Here's what David asked for because the Psalms boldly ask God for help. David asks for two things here in this Psalm. He asks for guidance, and you may have not expected this, but he asks for forgiveness. Guidance seems straightforward. Look at verses 4 through 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. David knows, and I think you know this too, it's easy to allow our intense emotions to make our decisions for us, isn't it? It's easy to allow the criticisms of other people, even the praises and compliments of other people, to drive our decision-making. It's easy to allow the, the, the many advice, the many suggestions from lots of voices to influence the mood that we're in on a given day or in a different period of our lives. So David understood he had to, he had to ask God to be the, loud, the loudest voice in his life. In the midst of all the people criticizing him, the enemies who hated him, in the midst of what he's saying to himself, he needed to hear God's voice most clearly. And so he says, guide me, teach me your paths, keep me on your way so that I know what to do. You know, those, those, those who are hard of hearing, it, it kind of runs in my own family. I think I'm headed there myself. <laughs> but people who wear hearing aids tell me, uh, people who are hard of hearing and need hearing aids, they say, I can understand what you're saying, but if there's ambient noise in the room, I can't focus. I can't focus when there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people talking, a lot of ambient noise. I can't hear what you're saying. Well, you know, the Bible teaches us in a way that our souls need hearing aids. That our souls um, need help, divine help, to discern what God is saying to us in the midst of all the ambient noise in our culture and in our life. We need God's supernatural help to understand what is his will and what is good and what is right and what is wise. And that's what David's asking for, God's guidance. And in verse 9, he actually says, in the midst of a cacophony of noises in his life and in the world, he says in verse 9 that God leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Humility is really important. It's something you develop when you begin listening to God above all the other voices and comments in your life. When you allow God to speak into the very intense emotions you're feeling in a given situation. God's guidance is critical because God's guidance reveals that you need to ask for other things as well. With the right advice, you now know what else you need to ask for. So he asks for guidance, and in the midst of receiving God's guidance, he asks for something that maybe you weren't expecting him to ask for in the midst of his adversity. As enemies are complaining about him and threatening him, he actually asks for forgiveness. 
Is that where you normally go to? He asked for forgiveness. Look at verses six and seven. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. You see, despite his enemies, he knows he's not innocent. Despite his enemies, David, he disciplines himself through prayer to confront his own culpability. And really, I love verses 6 through 7 because they encapsulate the Christian message. The entire message of the Bible, I think you can sum up in verses 6 and 7. This is the Christian concept expressed right here in what David is saying. Because he's really asking for two things in verses 6 and 7. He's saying, I don't want you to think about my sin, God. But I do want you to remember me. Despite his enemies, he knows he's not innocent. He knows he's culpable. And he says, basically, God, forget my sin. Remember me. That is essentially what biblical faith does. When the Bible talks about trusting in God, you are essentially doing two things. You are asking God, forget my sin, but remember me. And that's exactly what the Christian gospel offers us. This good news, we discover the death of our sins by Jesus Christ. We discover that he has destroyed our sins and that we are reborn ourselves into a new relationship with God. We discover that God now accepts us and covenants with us. He makes a covenant That will last forever. He agrees to accept us and to love us permanently. So I really think the Bible, the Bible's message of forgiveness and reconciliation with God are seen clearly here in David's request. Forget my sin. Remember me. How often does forgiveness enter into our minds when we wrestle with adversity? How often does forgiveness enter into your prayers when you're struggling like this guy who wrote the psalm was struggling? He asks for guidance, but he starts asking for forgiveness. And I'm telling you, out of all the things we pray for in hard times, we have to remember the concept of forgiveness. This is what we need to remember in our adversity while we pray. We need to remember the dynamics of forgiveness. We need to remember how forgiveness works in God's world. How forgiveness works in God's economy. Our sin and the sins of others as well. We've got to be able to process our own sin. And we've got to be able to process the sins of others. How do you process your own sin? How do you think about your own sin in a biblical way according to the Christian message? Well, actually, it's important to understand this, that we do not literally, I'm not advising anyone to cognitively forget your sins as though you have no recollection of what you've done or said. That's not what David's getting at here. The Apostle Paul didn't do that at all. He remembered his sins 
vividly. Read the book of Acts. Read all of his letters uh, to his friends and other churches that he planted in the New Testament. If you look at Acts chapter 29, you get a glimpse of what Paul would do whenever he talked about his faith in Jesus, whenever he would preach the gospel. Uh, he would talk about the sins of his past. He would talk about how he persecuted Christians, voted to have them put to death, manipulated them, hunted them down and threw them into prison, all deluded and thinking that he was actually doing a good thing. He confesses again and again that he did all of these horrible things, that he was extremely legalistic and prideful and says that he was deceived through all of it. Paul didn't forget the terrible things he did and said and thought. Rather, Paul remembered that all of those things were forgiven. And so he could say to his friend Timothy, and we read this earlier this morning, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy. To appreciate his mercy, we can't cognitively develop amnesia over the things we've done in our life. You know, God doesn't cognitively suffer from amnesia about your sin. David's not saying, God, I, want, I don't want you to know what I've done. That's not what he's doing. One scholar, one commentator on the Psalms puts it this way. Forgiveness, and this is what David is asking for. Forgiveness is that amazing act of grace whereby God extends his love as though the sin had never taken place. As though the sin had never taken place. My friend Ruth Ann Batstone wrote a really good book all about forgiveness. We have it on our book table. It's called Moving On. And she said this about experiencing God's forgiveness for the wrongs and transgressions in your own life. She wrote, in God's throne room, we are safe from condemnation. And that safety enables us to look honestly at our hearts without fear. We can admit what we've done wrong. We can repent and be cleansed. If you have come to God by faith and received his salvation, God's presence is the one place in the universe where you are safe from accusation and judgment. Nothing we have done is minimized, but everything we have done is covered in the atonement of Christ. So as we pray through adversity, we have to remind ourselves, friends, and we need to remind each other that because of Jesus Christ, God has forgiven and accepted us unconditionally. You have to work through that in your prayer life. And we have to remind each other, we have been forgiven in Christ unconditionally and accepted by God. And you know what? When you come here every Sunday morning, half of the worship service is designed and intended to remind you that God has forgiven you and accepted you unconditionally. That's how you begin to process your own sin when you pray. But you have to process the sins of others as well. 
because I know you're not going to forget those. You don't forget the things that have been done to you. You don't forget the things that have been done to your people or your family. But God's behavior towards you becomes the paradigm for your relationships. Right? You, you're, David's saying to God, I want you to no longer remember my sins, but I do want you to remember me. And in essence, that's your paradigm for every relationship you're, you're in. And you really, you lean into that in conflict and adversity. You move towards forgiving the sin, but embracing the person. And I say move, that action verb, because don't you know that forgiveness sometimes is not a instant, an instantaneous interaction between two people, but sometimes you discover that it takes time and understanding. You really have to wrestle with the past and with your emotions as you learn to forgive another human being. But ultimately, you move because God has forgotten your sin and remembered you. You move towards casting away someone's actions and embracing them. Live at Peace Ministries is in St. Louis. They mediate conflicts and they coach people and counsel people in their conflict. I love their definition of forgiveness. They write, forgiveness acknowledges that a wrong was done, but chooses not to seek revenge or condemn the offender. Forgiveness is refusing to punish people with our actions and our words. But it's more than that. Forgiveness is also refusing to condemn people in our hearts. You see how that encompasses the whole person, the whole being. Forgiveness is learning how to refuse vengeance and learning how to refuse judgment when it's not your place to judge and it's not your place to punish. So the next time your adversity drives you to your knees in prayer, the next time you find yourself wailing on your bed, unable to sleep, and you go to prayer, I am encouraging you to acknowledge your own sins to God and embrace His forgiveness. Forget my sin, Lord, and remember me because of your goodness. And in that same prayer, I'm encouraging you to acknowledge the sins of others committed against you and ask God to lead you on the path of forgiveness to begin to begin to not count their sin against them and begin to embrace them forgive the sin embrace the person it is critical my friends in adversity through prayer to remember the dynamics of forgiveness so much of our adversity involves conflict, doesn't it? And so I think David was very wise to not only ask God for guidance, but David was wise to meditate on the dynamics of forgiveness in the light of God's truth. Don't forget 
your own sin before you adequately address it. If David is asking God, forget my sin, but remember me, then it logically follows that he must have been really struck by his sin. Why else would he ask God to forget it? If it's worthy of forgetting, it must be worthy of shame. He was struck by his sin. That's what he said. I don't want you to remember my sin, Father. I want you to cast it away. In verse 11, he said, For your name's sake, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He knows his sin, he knows his sin is terrible. Why else would he want God to forget it? Have you, have you confronted the ugliness of your heart? you really thought about the ugliness of your heart. If Paul, who wrote almost half of the New Testament, the greatest missionary of all time, and an apostle, could say openly, publicly, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the biggest sinner I know. Then surely you and I can begin to consider the depths of our own sin. We have to do that and not just forget it because that's what we want to do. We, want, we don't want people to remember or to think about what's terrible about us. We wish people would just forget about it and not bring it up and not mention it. It hurts. It's painful to look at your own weakness and your own sin, especially when other people are to blame. But have you forgotten your own culpability? You've asked God to help you, I know. We all ask for God's help. We want him to help. We want him to help now. We want him to heal us. But have we asked him for forgiveness? Proverbs 28 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And that's what David is asking for. In verse 11, he's saying... He's not simply saying, Lord, forget my sin. He's saying, Lord, pardon my sin, for it is great. That's the essence of forgiveness. That's what's beautiful about the Christian understanding of forgiveness. It is not simply forgetting the wrong that has been done. It is pardoning the wrong that has been done. And that makes all the difference. Forgiveness is saying, God, knowing what you've done is treating you as though you never did it. That's forgiveness. Regardless of what another human being has done to you, you regard them, you see them, you treat them as though they have not done it. That is true forgiveness. That is true forgiveness. And that's what you have to cherish in your adversity. We've talked about what to ask for in our adversity. We've talked about what to remember. But this is what we need to cherish. That God has given us a new status. We've gone from being his enemies to being his friends. We've gone from this, this guilty status before the great judge to being innocent. Innocent as though we didn't commit the crime. And that's what has to be precious to you. That's what you got to cling to. 
Like your greatest prize, your greatest possession, the thing you love the most is the status change that God gives you as you trust Jesus. You are no longer his enemy. You are now, as David declares in verse 14, you are God's friend. Look at it. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. The Hebrew word there for friendship, some of the English translations may hint at it better. The idea there was an intimacy. It it was a close secret counsel. Friends tell each other secrets, right? Friends really let one another in on what's really going on. And that's what David is saying, that God, that God treats me and regards me as a friend. And in that intimacy, he teaches me his secret ways, that I could know him, that I could know what is good. And actually, Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was executed on a Roman cross, said exactly the same thing to his apostles. He said to them, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And then he died for them. And he told them nobody has greater love than somebody who lays down his life for his friends. And that's what you have to cherish in your adversity. That Jesus, the creator of the universe, calls you his friend. It is that scandalous. It is that awkward and embarrassing that Jesus calls you his friend. That's what you've got to cherish in your adversity. And work through cherishing that as you pray. David's request, forget my sin, but remember me. That request was denied to Jesus when he hung on the cross. If you ever think about that, when when he repeated the beginning of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The eternal son of God in that one moment abandoned from the Trinity, from the fellowship and the love and the glory that he always knew, hanging on a cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, David's prayer, David's prayer was denied to Jesus. In that moment, Jesus was forgotten by God the Father. And everything that God remembered was all of your sin, all of my sin all given to Jesus on the cross. God forgot about Jesus, his son, and God remembered every single one of our sins when Jesus took responsibility for them. A true friend lays down his life for his friends. A true friend absorbs the pain that you should have and takes it upon herself and takes it upon himself as though you don't deserve it. As though you had never sinned. God regards you as though you have never sinned because in that one moment on the cross, God regarded Jesus as though he had. A true friend will suffer in your place and Christ's bond with you is eternal. It's irrevocable. It was forged by his blood. It was sealed by his resurrection and Christ's friendship with you, frankly, 
is the only thing that you cannot lose in your adversity. You will lose people. You will lose your reputation sometimes. You will lose your good health. Sometimes we lose our minds. But you will never lose him. My two-year-old daughter loves a little necklace she has called the Heart of Tefiti from the Disney movie Moana. It's this little Hawaiian necklace and it glows bright green when she presses a little button and it is precious to her. She wears it all around the house. Sometimes it's the only thing she's wearing. And if you come to the house and you ring the doorbell and you walk in the house, she will walk up to you and she will show you the heart of Tefiti because it's precious to her. She'll leave the house without her clothes, but not without the heart of Tefiti. And you have lost much through adversity. We will lose much in this life through adversity, but the friendship we have with Jesus is precious and it is what you and I should cherish more than anything because we will not lose it, although we may lose everything else. So the friendship that Jesus has forged with you and proved to you how real it is when he hung on a cross for you, own it, cherish it, never leave home without it and wear it with assurance. And let your meditations on God's friendship be the essence of your prayers. Not the only thing. You're going to pray about guidance. You're going to pray about help. You're going to pray for many things. But at the center of it, friends, must be his friendship. That's how he answered in grace the problem of our sin. So God, God in your adversity and despite your many sins, remembers you. He has chosen to forget your sin but to never forget you. And the old preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said that God casts our sins behind his back. He blots them out. He says that though they be sought for, they shall not be found. With no other reason for it, but his own infinite goodness. So in your adversity, ask God to forgive you. Forget them for a minute. Ask him to forgive you. And then meditate on how his forgiveness works. And how you then take it and pay it forward and forgive others. And cherish Christ's friendship. Let's pray. Our Father, to you we lift up our souls. In you we trust. Let us not be put to shame. Let our enemies not exalt over us. Make known to us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth. You are the God of our salvation. And we are waiting for you. Lord, forget our sins and remember us. And Father, teach us how to no longer look at other people in light of what they have done to us and teach us how to forgive. Amen.